But if you die without Christ, you will die justly under the eternal wrath of God Almighty. This is a sure judgment. It's a severe judgment. But it's a sad judgment. Why it is, is it so sad? Because you don't have to go there. You see, when God says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, you know what that means? That means your name could have been there. But it wasn't. Because of choices that you made. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Your Day in God's Court. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 say, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The reality of hell should increase our hatred for sin. Pastor Carl will conclude his sermon today as he preaches on the penalty from this judgment. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. He goes on to say in Mark chapter 12, where he warns of the hypocrites, beware of the scribes who like to walk along and walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at banquets who devour widows' houses. That's prosperity theology. That's the Benny Hens. That's the T.D. Jakes. That's the Joel scene. That's the Joyce Myers. People say, oh, they're good people. They preach Jesus. They preach another Jesus. They're ripping people off. That's what these people were doing. They devour widows' houses. And for appearance sake, they offer long praises, prayers, but they'll receive greater condemnation. Look, just as heaven is described as a fantastic, wonderful place for everyone who goes, it won't be the same for everyone. And every time the Lord Jesus speaks about hell, he speaks of it as a terrifying place. But somehow, in the perfect justice of God, it will not be the same for everyone. And so God will judge each sinner according to their deeds. That brings us to the fifth point. I want us to think about the penalty from the judgment, the penalty from this coming judgment. Now in verses 14 and 15, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to notice several aspects about this final penalty that comes from God's hand. First, all those who make up this second resurrection without exception are thrown into the lake of fire. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It is sure and as certain as I am standing here today, no fancy lawyer will be able to get you off. There's no mercy here. There's no grace here. There's no forgiveness here. It will do no good for someone to cast their selves upon God and ask for mercy. It will be eternally too late. Don't think for a moment you can die and go to hell and somehow you can later repent and get right. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. I was raised in a church where I was told by my pastor that these descriptions of hell are just symbolic. They're not real. Well, you were lied to. That's all I can say. You were lied to. Even if these were just symbols, a symbol is never as great as the reality. I can take a picture of a sunset, 
But the reality of seeing it with the naked eye is so far more powerful. And listen, there are just too many verses in Holy Scripture that describe this as a place of torment. And so you are either calling the Bible is untrue and Jesus is a liar. And so in describing this place, Jesus said it's a place of eternal punishment. Listen to what he said in Matthew 25 and verse 46. These... The lost will go into eternal punishment, Ionion, but the righteous into eternal Ionion life. The Greek word that's translated here for eternal to describe heaven, eternal life, is the same word that's used to describe eternal punishment. In fact, it's the same word that modifies God's character in 1 Timothy 1.17, that he is the eternal God. So to say heaven is not eternal, to say hell is not eternal, to say God is not eternal. But you cannot do that. So no one is extinguished in hell as the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witness teaches. No one goes to hell for a period of time and, and then is released into heaven as the Mormon teaches. Now, Roman Catholics teach there's a place called hell, but if you're a church member, you won't go there, but you'll go to a place potentially, unless you've been deemed a saint by the church, to a place of temporal punishment until you make up for the sin that you didn't deal with, and it's called purgatory, a 12th century doctrine that you can find nowhere in Scripture. The Scripture's clear. When a man dies and he goes to hell, he's there forever and ever and ever. We just read earlier from Revelation 19 and verse 20. Let me read it again. And the beast, the Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So the very first two humans to be cast into the lake of fire. Look, when you think of the Antichrist and his false prophet, they're just normal, everyday people with flesh and blood like you and I. They're probably alive now. We don't know for sure, but they're probably alive now. But they're real people, and they are the first two recipients in the lake of fire. And when a thousand years later, Satan is cast into the lake of fire, they're still there burning. Why? Because hell never ends. Now, again, it was prepared for Satan and his angels, not for man. But three times in Scripture, in the Revelation, it's called the lake of fire. And three times it's called the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. I told you last time that Hades, in one sense, is temporary in its present location. Because we read here in our text this morning, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. They're very similar, though there are some differences. In Hades, the rich man who died as a lost man could see. In the lake of fire, there's nothing you can see. It's a black fire. It's a place of outer darkness, to use Jesus' words. Jesus said in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off the tongue. Why? Because I am agony in this flame. Now, I've heard preachers sometimes soften hell. They've described it like Alcatraz. For you children, that was a place of incarceration off the coast of California, and it was an island where supposedly no one could escape, and they said, well, hell is like that. You're in Alcatraz, and just as Alcatraz is surrounded by water, when you're in hell, you're surrounded by flame. That's not what the text says. 
He's in agony in the flame. And understand when you minimize and trivialize the judgment of God, you trivialize trivialize the cross on which the Lord Jesus died because the cross on which he died had to equal the payment that men will spend in eternity in hell trying to pull off. Christ, of course, is an infinite person, could pay in a finite period of time what you and I as finite people would take all of eternity to pull off. And just so you know that Jesus didn't water down the concept of hell when he wanted to choose a word picture that we translate hell in the New Testament, he uses the Greek word Gehenna. Some of you have been with me to Jerusalem and I will point out to you the valley of Gehenna. Gehenna was a first century dump It's where you put your garbage, God gave in the law, wise counsel. You take your human waste and you put it outside the city to prevent disease. Dead animals went there. The uh, unclaimed uh, beggars and crucified men, they they all went there. Your garbage went there. It was a place of continual burning and smoking and flame. That's the word Gehenna. This is why Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Guiana, hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to, be, to go into Gehenna, into hell. And the parallel text in Mark chapter 9 If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast in Gehenna. And then he says in the next verse, where their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Now, these are dramatic figures of speech, as I mentioned last time. And they're not teaching the mutilation of the Bible, but of the body, but the mortification of the body. If you cut off your right hand, you still had your left hand to execute the sin. If you plucked out your right eye, you still had your left eye in which to commit a sin. So on the surface, it may seem dramatic, but Jesus is simply bringing home a simple truth that you had better learn to treat sin as sin will treat you. That's why the scripture says, unless you repent, you perish. If you don't see your sin as sin, you have no need for a savior. You have to change your mind about sin. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is no normal body. This is a body that goes on for all of eternity experiencing these things. And what's even worse, as we noted last time with the rich man who died and went to Hades, he had his full faculties there. You have a full memory and a full realization of what is happening. You can feel the flame. Your mouth literally is aching with thirst. And you can't get out of it. One brother wrote nearly 50 years ago in a Christian magazine I used to subscribe to. Listen to these words. Imagine the person who has just entered hell, a neighbor, a relative, a co-worker, a friend, After a roar of physical pain blasts him, he spends his first moments wailing and gnashing his teeth. But after a season, he grows accustomed to the pain, not that it's become more tolerable, but that his capacity for it is enlarged to comprehend it, yet not be consumed by it. Though it hurts, he is now able to think, and he instinctively looks about him, but as he looks, he sees only blackness. 
His past life, he learned that if you looked long enough, a glow of light somewhere would yield definition to his surroundings. So he blinks and strains to focus his eyes, but his efforts yield only blackness. He turns and strains his eyes in another direction. He waits. He sees nothing. But unyielding black ink, it clings to him, smothering and oppressing him, realizing that the darkness is not going to give way. He nervously begins to feel for something solid to get his bearings. He reaches for walls or rocks or trees or chairs. He stretches his legs to feel the ground and touches nothing. Hell, Jesus said, is a bottomless pit. However, the new occupant is slow to learn. In growing panic, he kicks his feet and waves his arms. He stretches and he lunges, but he finds nothing. After more fervish tries, he pauses from exhaustion, suspended in black. Suddenly, with a scream, he kicks, twists, and lunges until he is again too exhausted to move. He hangs there alone with his pain, unable to touch a solid object or see a solitary thing. He begins to weep. He sobs, choke. He sobs, his sobs choke through the darkness. They become weak, then lost in hell's roar. Of course, he thinks, Jesus, the God of love can get me out of this. He cries out with a surge, Jesus, Jesus, you were right. Help me. Get me out of this. He waits, breathing hard with desperation. The sound of his voice slips into the darkness and is lost. He tries again, I believe, Jesus. I believe now. Save me from this. Again, the darkness smothers his words. Our sinner is not unique, for everyone in hell believes. When he, when he, he worries of appeals, he does next what anyone would do. He assesses his situation and attempts to adapt. But then it hits him. This is forever. Jesus made it very clear. He used the same word for forever to describe both heaven and hell. Forever, he thinks. And his mind labors through the blackness until he aches. Forever, he whispers in wonder. The idea deepens, widens, and towers over him. The awful truth spreads out before him like endless overlapping slats. When I have put in 10,000 centuries of time here, I will not have accomplished one thing, and I will not have one less second to spend here. As the rich man pleaded for a drop of water, so too our new occupant entertains a similar ambition. In life, he learned that even bad things could be tolerated if one could find temporary relief. Perhaps even hell, if one could rest from time to time, would be more tolerable. But he learns, though, that the smoke of his torment goes up forever and ever, and he has no rest day or night. Revelation 14, 11. No rest day and night. Think of that forever. You say, that's awful harsh of God. No, it's not harsh, because if you want grace, you can have grace. If you want love, if you want mercy, if you want forgiveness, you can have it. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So John just plainly says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the books of lo- book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, in any trial, there are three parts. There's the evidence that's presented against you. Then there's your defense. And then there's the verdict that will follow. So let's imagine just for a moment that the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ has been finished. And you are about to be judged face to face with the one sitting on the throne, the Lord Jesus, who died for you. 
the Christ whom you ignored, the Christ whom you spurned, the Christ whose name you often used in vain, the Christ to whom you did not trust as your Savior, the one whom by the fault you rejected, now you stand before him and the books are opened. The evil deeds that you did, the lies that you told, the fights that you fought, the impurities that you lived, the things that you stole, the people that you maligned, the folks that you gossiped about, every wrong thing you have ever done. And not just the wrong things you did do, but the things, the good things you should have done. For James says to the one who knows right and does it not, to him it is sin. And not just the things you did and the things that you should not have done, but also the influence that you had. I mean, think about this. Jesus said that it is better for a milestone, millstone, excuse me, to be tied around your neck and to drown in the deepest sea than to cause someone to stumble. Just like typically no one goes to heaven by himself, he in some way, shape, or form influences someone for the kingdom of God. The same way no one goes to hell by himself. And this is why God waits to the very end of time for this final judgment to take place. It's not time for the pornographers to be judged. It's not time for those beer barons who are drowning young people this morning as we speak in Florida in their beer. These people will continue to corrupt after they're dead. The people they corrupt will in turn corrupt. Hugh Hefner's so-called ministry of pornography continues to this day, though he has been dead. God will wait until the final period is put down and he'll look down, not just at what you did and what you failed to do. The things you thought, you lusted after a woman, God wrote down adultery. You hated in your heart someone and God wrote down murder. And God will also include your total influence. And all that foul, smelly sin is laid out before you. So you go to give a defense. What is your defense? Well, God, I didn't know which church to join. I didn't know if I should be a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Roman Catholic or join the community church. I just didn't know which one to join. And God would say, I didn't ask you to believe in the church. I said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, God, you know, I came to that church, Community Bible Church, and there were some hypocrites there, and they just so discouraged me, I just stopped coming and rejected the message. I didn't ask you to believe in the hypocrite. I said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, God, it was that preacher. I went to church to be made to feel good, and Carl Brogy made me feel bad. God would say, I didn't ask you to believe in the preacher. I said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, I'll tell you why I didn't go forward in that church. He preached and he gave an invitation and I just didn't think I could live it. So I never came down. I didn't ask you to believe in yourself. I said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So what will you say? What will your defense be? Actually, the Bible teaches you'll have no defense because scripture is clear. Every mouth will be closed, Romans 3, in guilt. The evidence will be presented. The guilt will be apparent. The verdict of God Almighty is just. And what is that verdict? Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
If you're here this morning and you leave this life without Christ, this will be your end. Listen, if you've been born just once, you will die twice, first physically. Then you will meet God in the second death, eternally. But if you've been born again, the scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you die without Christ, you will die justly under the eternal wrath of God Almighty. This is a sure judgment. It's a severe judgment. But it's a sad judgment. Why it is, is it so sad? Because you don't have to go there. You see, when God says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, you know what that means? That means your name could have been there. But it wasn't. Because of choices that you made. Now, how can we apply this this morning? Let me suggest three applications as we close our time. Number one, first, the reality of hell should increase my hatred for sin. Certainly, the doctrine of eternal retribution should cause you to hate sin as God hates sin. I mean, does the doctrine of hell offend you? Well, listen, as the reality of hell offends you, so sin offends God. Just as we cannot bear to look upon the horrors of hell, God cannot bear to look upon the horrors of sin. Sin revolts God, and that's why he sent his son, and it's why Jesus became an object of wrath. And if sin is this bad, if sin deserves this kind of judgment, we should hate it as God does. Number two, the reality of hell should make my witness more fervent. It should make my witness more fervent. If the biblical truth of divine eternal retribution grips your heart, it doesn't lead you to arrogance. It leads you to compassion. It will lead you to open your mouth to reach out to lost people, to try to win them into the kingdom. And at times, it will literally make you weep over some lost person. It not only prompts you to holiness, it moves you to witness. And we have excellent opportunities even this week. Even this week. Third and finally, I learn from this passage the reality of hell should make me want to be sure of my own salvation. Did you notice in this chapter that there are no born-again Christians in this judgment, only the lost of all time? Where is the believer? The believer has committed sin. He has deeds and thoughts and actions and secret things that he did that should be judged. Why is he not here? Because his name is in a different book, the book of life. Isaiah said of the believer, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick crowd, cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. For I have redeemed you. I, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The apostle Peter said it this way in Acts 3, repent and be converted that your sins may be wiped away. There are many non-Christians who have convinced themselves that I've gotten away with my sin. But your sin will find you out. You say, well, how can I have my record erased? He was pierced through for our transgressions, the prophet wrote. He was crushed for our iniquities, 
All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Do you understand that? It was prophesied an innocent, sinless substitute bore your judgment so you wouldn't have to. It is a very fact of hell that makes the love of God and the wonder of his grace all the more appealing. That Jesus satisfied justice. Again, it's not a place created for man, but for the devil and his angels. The Bible tells us that this world is being shaped by the prince of the power of the air who is energizing the sons of disobedience. And if you follow the sons of disobedience, you will get in the end what they will get. Eternal judgment. I deserve to go to hell. But I settled my case out of court when I was 18 years old. And I received the mercy of God Almighty. I know my name is in his book and his spirit lives in me. God's down payment of what he started, he will complete. But if your name is not in that book, you will never see the inside of heaven. But the good news is your name can be in that book. But you must humble yourself and call upon the Lord Jesus to save you, and he will in a split second. You know, people prepare for all kinds of things in this life. They take out every kind of insurance to make sure their house is covered, their car is covered, their health is covered. They prepare to get a job so that they can earn a living and provide for their family, and they they do all these preparations. The most important preparation to be ready for eternity, millions, yes, even billions have ignored. And this may be your last chance to receive Jesus. I'm not here to tell you today to go to hell. I'm here to tell you, come to heaven, and he'll receive you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Many are here today listening, live streaming by internet. Some are listening by radio in some station in the country. And if you will bow your head and call upon Jesus and trust him today, he will guarantee your entrance into his kingdom. Would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I thank you the very judgment I deserve in hell you accomplished for me on your cross. Lord Jesus, save me. For whoever will call upon the name of this resurrected Christ, they will instantly be saved. Our Father, we have soaked our mind in Holy Scripture this morning. But if the truth were known, many of us have lost our passion to introduce lost people into the kingdom, to even invite them to church. May you deal with our indifference. May we repent of our apathy. And may we walk in holiness before the one who gave everything for us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, 
remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 028. You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.